Good morning. It is an honor, but it is a pleasure to be back uh, worshiping with you again. Uh, it's been probably close to a year now uh, since I've joined you, and, and uh, a lot's changed since then, obviously. A lot's gone on in the world, and a lot has gone on here. But God has been good through it all. If you would turn um, in your Bibles to the book of First Peter, uh, it's page uh, 1014 in the Pew Bibles, if you, you're using that. Uh, but First Peter, the first chapter. Before we, we read, um, uh, as a chaplain, I have a lot of opportunities to preach once to people. Um, so I don't get a lot of time to build up context, to start a series, to develop points. Um, you have a few minutes, and that's it. Um, under ideal circumstances, uh, you preach through a book um, to allow God's word to explain God's word. I can't do that. Um, I could preach through a book, but you probably would get bored and leave before we reach the end of it this afternoon. Uh, and so uh, a brief word about context. The book of First Peter has a lot of, of theology, a lot of truth, a lot of application, um, but two things that jump out. First Peter is writing to an audience who is suffering. It's a major theme that comes up over and over and over in the book of First Peter. And he also talks a lot about hope. It comes up over and over and over. And as you would guess, those two ideas are connected. So let's read together uh, this section out of the first chapter. We'll start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not now see him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Please pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, we have read your word, and we know that you have spoken to your people. But Lord, we need the power of your spirit to grant us understanding. And so work to transform our minds and work to transform our hearts that we might think your thoughts and that we might learn to love the things that you love. Be glorified in what is said and what is thought here this morning. But Lord, use this time to make us more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. So this morning I want to talk about hope. Or more specifically, I want to uh, talk about what 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us about hope. We as Christians talk about faith 
a lot, and rightly so. And the famous passage, uh, uh, faith, hope, and love. We talk about love a lot as well. But I don't talk all that much about hope. I don't think all that much about hope. I spend more of my time talking about faith. Faith in Christ. Because it's important. I spend more of my time talking about the love of God that surpasses understanding. Because it's important. But recently, I've been thinking a lot about hope. And by recently, I, I actually mean the last couple years. And uh, perhaps that's a sign of me growing up that um, recent becomes a much longer period of time. Um, but recently, uh, I've been thinking a lot about hope. Have you ever noticed that sometimes God is so good to us that we forget to hope? That might seem an odd concept. But if you remember in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 6 actually, Moses is speaking to the people and they're about to go into the promised land and God warns them. He says, you're about to go into a land and you're going to get things that you did not earn. You are going to be blessed beyond your wildest imagination and you didn't do any of it. Be careful when that happens that you do not forget God. We know from uh, further passages in the Old Testament that that's exactly what happened. They took the blessing for granted and forgot the one who blessed them with it, and we're no different. In Proverbs 30, uh, verse 8, there's a short prayer. Uh, The writer asked that God would not give him too little so that he might be forced to steal. But he also prays, Lord, don't give me too much so that I might forget you. We are a blessed people. Look at the room that we're now gathered in. Look at the clothes that you're wearing. When you leave here, look at the car that you drive away. You are blessed. And sometimes we are so blessed, we are so caught up in the goodness of our lives that we forget that we should be characterized by hope. But more commonly, I think, we don't focus on hope because our problems are so big now. God is a God who works miracles. God is a God who can accomplish great things, and he can fix our problems today. And certainly, we want that. But sometimes our problems weigh on us so much that we're tempted to despair. Sometimes we hurt so deeply that it doesn't look like it will ever end. We are a broken people and we live in a broken world. Richard Baxter said, um, described his preaching as uh, preaching as a dying man to dying men. Uh, There's another quote um, and I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it's something to the effect of um, if you preach to hurt people, you will never lack a congregation. The fact is life hurts us. 
But it was no different uh, back in the first century. First Peter is a book in the context of pain. And yet is a book full of joy and hope and faith. And so the question is, how do we cling to hope in the midst of real life? I want to talk about uh, three things about hope. The nature of hope, the assurance of hope, and the empowerment of hope. If you look again with me at verse, uh, well, verses 3 and 4. Let's read those again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. A living hope. What is the, the nature of this hope? This last year, I, uh, a chaplain, I'm attached to a, a CB battalion over in Gulfport. 133, and we were deployed to Afghanistan, uh, a couple other places as well. We had people pretty much all over the place. But we just spent um, a number of months in Afghanistan. Um, part of my job is to uh, visit our people, to be a pastor to um, all of our uh, CBs. We had people all over, and so I got to travel all over the country. And um, early on in deployment, I had the opportunity to go visit a small crew we had uh, at a remote um, outpost, basically. And uh, we took a convoy up there and um, got dropped off, uh, me and another person. And um, it was pretty much a, a horrible location, as you might imagine. Um, no running water, no facilities, um, no food, uh, limited defenses, limited people, etc. It was just unpleasant. So we go up there, uh, we visit with our people, we do our thing, and then uh, we start uh, bugging the Marines, start, you know, get us a ride out of here. We're, we're done. So, you know, day one, no ride, day two, no ride. This goes on, um, and every night um, we have to get up in the middle of the night because just in case one of the, the um, helicopters that's going somewhere else happens to land, we want to get on it because we really want to leave by this point. And it doesn't happen. So finally, one night, uh, we've been stuck there way too long, and we're sitting on the HLZ waiting. Uh, we look in the direction of the town, and we can see the flashes. Um, the Georgians have a combat patrol out, and they're in a firefight. And I sit there for a while um, with every piece of clothing that I brought, um, with um, my vest and my helmet and all my stuff on, shivering, thinking, this is rather unpleasant. Actually, I was thinking something more harsh than that, but I'm preaching, so um, I'm thinking this is rather unpleasant. Eventually, after about two hours of sitting there, shivering, um, with the, uh, the wonderful conversation of a Marine gunnery sergeant, uh, a helicopter finally comes in, and we get on it. And I'm pretty happy by this point, thinking I'm going to get out of here, uh, go somewhere that's less unpleasant. About this time, the gas line through the cabin breaks, and uh, uh, JP-8 starts spraying on me. Um, but we've already moved, so they won't let me get up. And they come over and with their little flashlights, and they look at it, and they say, all right, if it stops leaking, tell us, because that's when we're in trouble. And then they go back to business, and we take off. And I'm thinking, 
is seriously is I just have to sit here with jet fuel spraying on me while you guys fly and that's that was the deal so we flew for 40 minutes um, and I thought I that my gear smelled bad enough that it, I was used to things and I would just block out you know how smells kind of go away after a while well it turns out that awakened all of the other smells and so by the time we we landed um, I was again in a pretty foul mood. Um, but about this time, I decided I didn't like being deployed there, and I wanted to go home. But what was it that I was hoping for? I mean, you can understand by this point that um, I would rather be somewhere else doing something else. You can probably think back to a lot of situations where you were in where you wanted to get out. So what is the nature of hope? What is it that we hope for? At that point, I just was hoping uh, for a shower. And I was hoping um, to not sleep on um, the ground. Once I got back, I continued to not want to be there, so I was hoping to come home. I was looking forward to getting back here. But when Peter talks about a living hope, when he describes uh, the hope that characterizes Christians, is that what he's talking about? Disney says uh, that we hope for things. If we hope anything hard enough, if we dream um, strongly enough, we can accomplish anything. It's the American dream, after all. You have the power to be anyone. You have the power to do anything. Is that the hope Peter talks about? I hope for great things for my kids. I have, I have four young kids. I hope for a long uh, life together with my wife. But can those be taken away from me? I hope for financial stability. But I can lose that. I hope for um, a nice home to live in, but I can lose that. Think of something that you hope for that cannot be taken away. Peter mentions three things, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The hope that characterizes a Christian is imperishable. It cannot die. It cannot be taken away. That's something different than what we're used to. Hope is not a wish. It's not a dream. Hope cannot die. He says that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus died and death lost. And so this hope that is based on the work of Christ, cannot die. He goes on to, to describe it as undefiled. It's unmixed. It's pure. It's holy, if you will. And it's unfading. Have you ever gotten something new that you liked? It's not Christmas morning where you open up a new pair of, of gym socks. It's, it's something good. 
You've wanted it for a long time. It makes your day. In fact, it's such a good gift that you actually really enjoy it for like a whole week before you get bored. But you do get bored. Is there anybody in here that's um, really into cars, that, that likes cars, that likes your car? I hate my car, by the way, so, um, but it gets good gas mileage, so. But car people. Um, I have a couple of good friends that rebuild cars, and they've spent years, years, and they work, and they work, and they uh, take into account every detail, and they put it together and get it absolutely perfect. Then they take it out and drive it on occasion. You know, the Sunday afternoon drives where they, they cruise in their absolutely perfect vehicle. And then what happens to almost all of them? They start thinking about the next project. Some of them sell this one. They just spent a decade and who knows how much money making it absolutely perfect. And then they think, well, it's done now, so I'll just, maybe I'll sell it and use the money to start my next project. Same thing, coming home from deployment is an awesome thing. Home seems absolutely perfect before you get here. But you get here, and chores come up. The kids get sick. You get here, and um, you have to get back to the office and do paperwork. And all of a sudden, the perfect life seems a, le a little less glorious. Now imagine something that once you get it, does not fade. That as much as you can build it up in your mind in advance, as perfect a picture as you can imagine this thing, it stays that way forever. Peter is emphasizing by um, using different words to describe different aspects of what we hope for, the magnificence of it. Now, because of who Christ is and what he's done, all who have faith in him, all who are united to him, are forgiven. There's justification in nobody else. But there's more to this salvation. The abundance of the goodness of God are the gift to, our, to God's people in Christ. An eternity in paradise, that is our hope in Him. Life eternally. Not just um, as the culture would have it, um, a zombie-like existence where you just simply do not die and you go through the motions and you, you worship all day as a robot. But life in its fullness. The Old Testament, if you read the descriptions of Zion, of glorious beauty and abundant life, of the promised land, of the Garden of Eden, if you look at Revelation and see the promises of the coming city, it's glorious. It's life without pain, without tears, without fear. Life 
with Christ. It cannot be taken away. It cannot die. It cannot be mixed with anything else. It cannot fade. It is everything that is promised. That is what we hope for. Now it occurs to me that something this good uh, I should think about a lot more. We talk a lot about faith in Christ and what we get um, by believing in Jesus. And that's good. But we sell ourselves short when we forget that the entire story of Scripture is about Jesus. The entire story of history is about Jesus. The entire story of your life is not about you, it's about Jesus. And so we hope for great things. If you remember in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance of things hoped for. So the nature of our hope is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is absolute truth in Christ. And we're assured of it. Look at the end of verse 4 and on into verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says that it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Flip over uh, maybe a page to chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Um, Starting in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's not a question of whether we will get these blessings. It's a question of when. Hope is not a wish. I sure do hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. I sure do hope that we get good weather this entire season. Hope is not a wish. It's not a dream. Growing up, we have dreams. What do we want to be? What do we want to accomplish? We get jobs and we want to be promoted. We want to make money. We want to do well. We have a family and we want our children to be successful. We dream big dreams. It's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is sure. We know it's coming. And we know because of what Peter tells us here, that it is being guarded for us, that it is being kept in heaven for us. 
not by our strength, but by God's. In chapter 5, he uh, unfolds it a little bit more by telling us at at the right time, God will reveal it, and he will establish you. And so we know, we can have confidence that the greatness of this hope promised, that does not change and it does not fade, that it is um, every bit as wonderful as Scripture describes it, that we hope for a time that is better than this one. We know that it's coming because God said so. And he guards it by his strength. And so thirdly, I want you to see um, that this is empowering. Now don't misunderstand me to use the word empowerment the way motivational speakers use it in our culture. If you can just harness this truth, then you too can accomplish anything because you can't accomplish anything apart from the power and the grace of God. And yet, Peter wants his audience the Christian church who faces suffering. He wants us to know that there is strength in hope. Uh, We just got to the end of um, the NBA season. And uh, my car gets like four radio stations, one of which is ESPN, on the way in. And so I hear a lot of, uh, of talk, and apparently that's all that's been talked about all month is the NBA playoffs. And there's a lot of quotes. People get to game seven and they pretty much always say, um, if you had told me ten years ago that I would have been here, I wouldn't have believed you. Imagine if a rookie, and this happens on occasion, comes into the league as a pro player and says, I'm going to be the greatest ever. We laugh at him. It's arrogant. Very well might be true. We can't prove that. But there's no grounds for saying it. Same thing in the military. A new recruit, until they have accomplished something, their words are meaningless. Somebody who has uh, been in combat can speak much more truth than somebody who has been through boot camp. Peter here describes uh, a testing Verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The suffering we face is a test, it's proof of faith. Now, uh, God is good enough that some people never have to face the kind of fiery trials that first century Christians did and that Christians in many nations all over the world face every day. We, for the most part, do not face severe persecution. And we should thank God every day for his grace to us for that. But when suffering does come, whether it is uh, persecution, whether it is sickness, whether it is our own sin that burdens us, whether it is inside or out, when suffering does come, it is a test. So that at the end, when we say, Jesus saves, when we declare that Jesus is Lord, our words will mean 
so much more because he carried us through the test. Now, this seems like a jump in topic. He's been saying you've been born to a living hope and um, there's these great things coming and God is going to guard it in heaven for you and you can take absolute confidence that it is coming and have faith during suffering. But remember, context is everything. The faith that we have in Jesus is combined with the idea of hope. Paul says that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Peter doesn't use those words here. But this suffering that he's describing is used for good, to bring greater glory to God when we confess his name in the last day. Now, when people suffer, they need hope. There's lots of stories of prisoners of war um, who curl up and die. They stop wanting to live. On the other hand, there's stories of people doing, um, enduring unimaginable things and accomplishing great things because they keep their eyes on the prize. Um, I use running as an example. Um, when we go uh, out on, a, say, a formation run, and I know the route, it's easier for me. No matter how long it is, well, okay, not no matter how long it is, but um, given a, a reasonable distance, um, so we're going four and a half miles. Um, I'm miserable for about four and a quarter of that, but I know how far it is. I know the turns. I know when we're getting close. When we start running, and I'm not told how long or how far, from step one, I'm miserable. It's all I can do to keep going right from the beginning. I have no vision of where we're going. I have no hope for the end. Life is the same way. So our suffering serves a good purpose in that it will, in the end, bring more worth to our confession of Jesus. It will bring more glory to the one who will carry us through. But where does he give us strength? In the absolute, sure knowledge that it will end. In the absolute, sure knowledge that something greater is coming that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We can know that for certain. That he will end our suffering. He will wipe away every tear. And he will make everything work together for our good. Whether that is in this life or in the one to come, we can know it with certainty. He ends with this uh, great paragraph. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Paul does the same thing as Peter. He starts talking about the greatness of the glory of Christ and he has to lapse 
into these great ideas of praise. Uh, on deployment, last January, um, my wife gave birth to our fourth child. Uh, it's a son. So we now have two daughters and two sons. And um, I, I was deployed, obviously. I was uh, fortunate enough to time my trips that I was at one of the major camps. So I did have um, the ability to call her in the hospital. And um, I pretty much stayed up all night, locked in my little uh, Connex trailer thing, um, talking to her, um, and she gave birth, and I was doing really well. I was exhausted, nowhere near as exhausted as she was, but uh, then uh, I heard him start crying, and I fell apart, of course, um, and I actually have had a roommate who I was desperately hoping was asleep so that he wouldn't see me in the corners, <laughs> falling apart, and I was, I was a mess, not being, not being coherent, can't, couldn't complete sentences, and uh, he told me the last day, he Next day, he of course saw me, and uh, but um, I was on the other side of the world, and I can't imagine loving him more. This idea of loving uh, what we have not seen is not foreign to us. He goes on and says uh, that we love what, um, though we do not see him now. Um, I, another good example of this is um, when I was uh, a teenager, actually I met my wife when we were teenagers, um, I liked her well before she liked me, and, and, and I know this for sure because I act, asked her out on numerous occasions and she told me no, um, and um, I basically just wore her down, I stuck with it and fin finally convinced her. And so we, we got married. We've been married 11 years, four kids, um, two deployments. So she, she pretty much stuck with me at this point. But this last deployment, she has three young kids at home. She's pregnant, about to give birth. I'm on the other side of the world. Um, I've been gone quite a bit more than I've been home over the last three years. Um, and yet I was more sure of her love then than I was when I first asked her out. I could see her. I could talk to her face to face. We could do things together. Even after we started dating and dated for a while, I'm more sure now than I was then. See, I don't need to see her to know that the love is there. I don't need to be in her presence to know I love her and she loves me. the same thing Peter is describing here about Jesus. We have been born again to this living hope. Jesus is who he says he is. He accomplished all that Scripture tells us that he accomplished, and he will do everything that Scripture promises. We don't need to see it yet to know that it's true. We don't need to see him physically uh, walk into this building because his spirit is here and his love is in our hearts. And so we can take confidence. We can know with absolute certainty the hope of Scripture is true. And there's power and glory there. One day, all of this will be revealed. 
Verse 9 says, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, Scripture makes it clear that all who are in Christ belong to Him now. But the fullness is yet to be revealed. The fullness of God's grace to you is yet to come. The greatness of belonging to Christ, of being made a new creation, of having um, a heart that is alive, put within you, of having an absolutely uh, assured hope. It's just a taste of what's coming. The fullness of salvation in Christ will be revealed when he comes back and completes it. No more tears, no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. Just joy and love and peace forever. Let's go to him in prayer.